and welcome to another episode of the Backcheck, the Hockey History Podcast, where we consider the Hall of Fame places for NHL players. My name is Riley, and I'm with Bill. Hey, how you doing? I'm good, how are you? Doing alright, thanks. And today we have the class of 1995, which is another class of just two players, and like the class of 1996, is a defenseman who recently retired, and an old-timer, in this case, an even older-timer. So first up, we have Larry Robinson, and secondly, we have Bun Cook, brother of Bill, one of the uh, Bill being one of the greatest players of all time. Um, so we're starting off with Larry Robinson, who uh, uh, famously played most of his career for the Habs and was on the Habs for the stretch in the late '70s when they were possibly the best hockey team in the history of the universe. I think that's <laughs> not a yep. super contentious statement. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it is either. Yeah, um, and uh, he was, of course, a huge part of that team, um, being at times their number one defenseman. Uh, he played from 1972 to 1992, so that is 20 seasons, and he had just over 200 goals, exactly 750 assists, and 958 points. And because he retired in the early 90s, at uh, when when the league was still going crazy in terms of offense, he was... 10th all-time in goals at his retirement in Marcus Hansen, 2nd all-time in assists, and 4th all-time in points, and now he is 20th in goals and 9th in assists and points uh, among defensemen. So he's clearly, uh, you know, like, uh, he got passed by a bunch of people, Bork, Coffey, um, Murphy, uh, I'm, I'm sure, Housley, Leach, you know, um, in the interim. But he is first all-time in plus-minus. He remains first all-time in plus-minus, and it might be by a lot because he is plus 722, which is video game. Like, it's it's yeah. just... It's a number that, like, every time I see it, I'm like, how? Yeah, so he's almost 100. He's 140, plus 140 ahead of uh, Bobby Orr. Wow. <laughs> which is... However, like, however, you have to also consider Orr only played, like... Yes. Parts of nine seasons, I think, and plus minus <laughs> or eight cumulative. seasons. Yeah, no, you're absolutely. That yeah, is absolutely. So. I was not sorry. I was not trying to suggest any any kind of comparison between Larry Robinson and Bobby Orr. More that just Larry Robinson's plus minus stat is so ridiculous that he is a career a a very good plus minus career's worth ahead of the next person. Um, it's yeah, like it plus one forty happens to be Bobby Orr who. Yeah. It happens to be Bobby Orr, who, who, if he had been able to play as many years as Robinson would have, he, I think, easily doubled what. what uh, I mean, Larry probably had, assuming, over. Assuming he didn't trail off, but. Yeah, he'd be plus a thousand, um, or something. Yeah, yeah. And like, I would, I would have to say so. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's, but it is, it is a like, it's a crazy, crazy number. Um, it is. He's also a uh, when he retired. He was third all-time in games played among defensemen. He's now 15th. Um, he was also uh, first all-time in point shares among defensemen, which is hockey references um, value metric. Uh, he is now 21st. So it just goes to show you that uh, like a, a lot of people who had long careers played after him because like plus minus, it is cumulative. Um, he was first all-time in defensive point shares Uh which would, you know, at least career-wise, make him in some ways the best defenseman ever, which is obviously not true because it's cumulative, but when he retired, and now he's fourth, and the people ahead of him are like Bork and uh, 
I actually don't know who else is ahead of him, but Bork is definitely ahead of him. Lidstrom would be, uh, it would be Bork and Lidstrom and I'm not sure who else. Um, and then he is, he was six all time in offensive point shares among defensemen. He is now 17th. And um, per game wise, he is one of the rare defensemen of this era who actually has seen his uh, per game numbers surpassed. And I guess that's because he played enough of his career in the seventies and his, his, best like his best per game seasons were all in the 70s rather than in the 80s and the 90s and so he was yeah. he was 10th uh in terms of goals per game at his retirement he is now 21st which is a huge drop he was 19th in terms of goals per game he's only dropped to 20th or assist per game i'm sorry um and 16th in the points per game he's dropped to 20th as well so uh a little bit uh but particularly in goals i think it's just also more defensemen score goals now or did yeah. in the 90s in particular, uh, early 90s in particular. Um, so the draft, we like to talk about the draft, and he was drafted in 1971 um, in a draft that was just a fucking haul for the Montreal Canadiens, given who they drafted <laughs> first overall. Um, that being Guy Lafleur, this is the Guy Lafleur draft. Uh, Montreal drafted... Gilefler, Chuck Arneson, Murray Wilson, Larry Robinson, and a bunch of people I've never heard of who didn't play in the NHL. Um, but two of those, given that two of them are, are two of the greatest players of the era, they did pretty damn great. And Robinson was 21st, um, which is uh, kind of funny. So he, in his draft, he's seventh in goals, third in assists, third in points, first in plus minus by 276. <laughs> And that is, you'll be shocked to learn, over his teammate, Guy Lafleur. Um, if you eliminate that, he is actually plus 400 over Craig Ramsey, basically. And Craig Ramsey was a hell of a, a defensive player. Um, yep. And he's first in point shares uh, by uh, 14, which is uh, over Dion, um, who also played forever. Um, they actually played very close to a similar number of games. And he's first in games played as well. So, I mean, I think it's... We haven't talked about Lafleur yet. Um, no, we haven't. No. But, like, it, it is, this is a... Uh, like, the three best players in this draft are... Four best players, actually, are all pretty good, though. Like, fourth is, is not quite as good. Um, but, like... I have no idea who the best player is among Guy Lafleur, Dion, and Robinson. I'm gonna—I'd probably say Lafleur, but I didn't watch any of them play yeah. um, at their peak. I, I'm, specifically. I'm, yeah, yeah. I—I I think I probably have to say Lafleur as well, but it's—it's—it's it, it's, it's fairly close. Yeah, but he is. I mean, he—he he scored 50 goals basically like every year for can't even remember how many years in a row. Six like, seasons. Maybe. He, he had 120 like, points every season for six seasons in the 70s. Like, wow, not in the 80s. Yeah. He did it in the 70s. Yeah. Which is, like, you know, that was before the WHA. Like, he was doing that before the WHA put their talent into the NHL as well. So, I mean, you could yeah. say that the NHL was maybe watered down because the best players were in. Uh, some some of the best content, contenders for best player were in another league. But, like, I don't know. I, I yeah. think it's more impressive to me, given the scoring in the eighties that he did that in the seventies. Yeah, um, I, I would agree with that. But I mean that Larry Robinson was the best defenseman in his draft. Just like not even, it's not even close. I mean, yeah. I don't know how, how do you, is it Bill height or 
How, uh, the Buffalo Sabre? I, I think it's I think it's Bill. Uh, it's H A I G H T, right? It's H A J T, which is why I can never figure out how to pronounce it. I I guess height, but I I'm not quite sure. I've never heard anyone say it uh, because I am not a Sabres fan, but like he is the he's the closest. Um, in terms of point shares, and he has uh, less than half of Larry Robinson's. Yeah, that's, <laughs> and, you know, you, you, if, if, if you're a rock solid defenseman, and somebody's comparing you to Larry Robinson, like you're, you're usually not gonna, you're not gonna yeah. look amazing. No, I know, but like Larry it's Robinson's not even like so, it's not even yeah. close that Larry Robinson is the best defenseman in his draft. Yeah, arrow wise, uh, he he. Uh, oh, I just lost it. Um, so of the nine defensemen to play 984 games or 12 modern seasons between 72 and 92, he is second in goals and second in goals per game. Uh, that would be behind Potvin. And he's first in assists. He's fourth in assists per game. He's second in points and second points per game, again, behind Potvin. Um, first in plus minus by 266, which is just, again, wow. that's, a, that's a, like, plus 266, I think, w- w- might put you in the top 25. <laughs> careers ever um he's second in offensive point shares behind pop van he's first in defensive point shares by nearly 30 30 defensive point shares is like is a pretty decent nhl career as a defenseman and he's first in point shares so like at least by the metrics larry robinson is one of the best defensemen of all time um it's and now of course that is at least helped partially uh, by his team, and you get into a whole chicken of the egg. Did Larry Robinson help make the the Canadians of that era the best team ever, or you know, is he benefiting from playing with all those players? I I mean, I never I didn't watch him play, so. But anyway, um, his A two game average is fifty seven points plus forty three. The plus forty three is insane, of course. Like that's it's over half. Like he was plus point five per game basically for his entire career, which is like, I don't even know how to like comprehend that. You know, it means like he on average in an average game, you know, he was like never negative ever basically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously he did have years. I'm sure I can find a year where he was minus something, which would be make his career even crazier. Um, no, he was once plus one. And that wow. was in the final year of his career when he was Anyway, uh, his three-year peak in the late 70s, of course, an 80-game average of 75 points, and get this, Bill, plus 86 in 80 games. Wow. It's just, like, I mean, the, the Habs just, the goal differential of those Habs teams must have been, like, yeah, just... Yeah, they, they, were, they were just running people out of the rink, like it wasn't. Yeah. Somebody was, uh, one of the radio hosts in Montreal was uh, an, an older guy, and he, uh, he, he talks about uh, those Canadians teams pretty frequently, and when he when he's talking about it, he's like, yeah, it was never a question with that team of like, are we going to win tonight? It was, how are we going to win tonight? <laughs> like, yeah, like, you know, they had a season, I think they only lost eight games. Like they're, they were yeah. just so far above their competition. It wasn't even funny. And if you think about, you know, they've got Lafleur, they've got uh, Steve shut. They've got like all these great, like defensive players, depth players, yeah. uh, role players. And then they've got, you know, Ken Dryden and that with, uh, you know, Guy Lapointe and uh, Larry Robinson and Serge Savard on defense. Yeah. You know, all three of those guys are just absolutely dominant yeah. defensemen. Like it, the only thing I can think of that's that, that I can consider comparable that I've seen 
would be when uh, Anaheim won that cup with Prongmeyer and uh, <laughs> and where like basically one of Niedermeyer yeah. um, or Pronger was always on the ice. Yeah. And the other person playing with them was Francois Beauchemin when he was at his absolute best. So you like, that's as close as I can think of. And it was like, they, they played, you know, at 40 minutes of the game, just the three of them easily, easily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, so it's, I'm, I'm assuming uh, back in those days that those, you know, shifts were longer back then, I believe. Yeah. They were um, much longer. Yeah. So like those guys must have played well over half the game every night. Oh yeah, I, I, well, I mean, because the thing it's is, sort of like almost each, right? So then it's like, well, <laughs> you're pretty much taking up the whole game then. Because um, like Savard and and the point were playing, I think, an awful lot before Robinson like turned into Robinson, right? Like, because they were they're older, and um, yeah. they were like you know established. You know, they had already won stuff before uh, Larry Robinson uh, came into the world, and and. And they were, you know, I think other teams would have been very happy to have either of them as their number one defenseman. And then, of course, they had, before Robinson, they had uh, Le Perrier as well, um, who was, I don't ever know how good he was. He won a Norris, but I don't know if that means anything, because it was back in the late 60s. Anyway, uh, so playoff numbers, um, he is, of course, also on some lists, as you might imagine, for a guy who was on a team like a guy who won did he win five he won five six sorry he won six um Stanley Cups and so he was uh, the fifth defenseman all time in goals at his retirement he's now 11th in playoff goals uh for defenseman he was first um I think he was the first uh defenseman in terms of assists all time at his retirement he's now the fifth D and he's still 13th all time total for playoff assists uh, he was second all-time among uh, defensemen in terms of playoff points. He is now the eighth defenseman, and he is uh, first all-time still in terms of uh, among defensemen in terms of plus playoff plus minus. Um, and he's second all-time, and I believe first all-time is is Nick Lidstrom, if I'm not mistaken. In games played, he was the first defenseman at his retirement, fourth now, and he's eighth all-time in games playoff games. So this is a guy who you know. Um, he had his playoff success as you're all shocked to hear. Um, in terms of per game stuff, uh, he, he, uh, he is 23rd all time in assists per game still, um, or, uh, sorry, among defensemen. And, uh, at his retirement, he was 12th all time among defensemen in goals per game, 20th all time in assists per game and 16th all time in points per game. So lower than, uh, well, roughly the same actually, um, in terms of uh, compared to his regular season stuff. And uh, playoff era-wise, he was uh, first in assists and first in plus-minus when he retired, uh, or sorry, at the end of his era. Um, so, you know, he was even more, so he had more than uh, more assists than Pafan, which I guess is not that surprising. Um, <laughs> the adjustment for era, of course, really uh, hurts him, as we would expect. It, it drops him. Uh, 10 points down to 47 points per 82 game average. That's the hockey reference adjustment. He is also uh, uh, 23rd all time in uh, in adjusted uh, goals per game among defensemen. But he's also the last of the qualifying players because you need to score at least 200 goals to make that leaderboard. Um, the versus X adjustment is uh, as in 
Uh, actually, it doesn't hurt him as much. He has 732 assists and 791 points in that adjustment. And, of course, he was never traded. Um, I guess in 89, the Habs thought he was probably done because he was, like, what, 37? Uh, or 38 or something. And so he went mm -hmm. and signed with the Kings. So, um, he, he had some accomplishments. He was top five in heart voting once, and that was... Um, was that the year he was plus 120 or not? Yes, it was the year he was plus 120, which is second yeah. ever. As we talked about on another episode, it's second ever to Bobby Orr's plus 124 season. He won two Norris trophies in 77 and 80. And then he was top five in, in Norris voting six other times. And there was a period from 1977 to 1982 in which he was top five in Norris voting every year. Um, yeah. And then again, he was top five in Norris voting in 86 and 87 as well. Um, he, uh, hockey references point share metric ranks him as the best player of 1977. Now it's important to note that a uh, goal differential is a really important part of that metric. And he was plus 120, So it would, it would rank him over Lafleur because he was, he had the higher plus minus. So that's, you know, keep that in mind when it, when it says that. It, they also claim he was the best defensive player in the league in 77 and 78, which is, uh, you know, we've talked about plenty of defensemen in the uh, Hall of Fame who have never done that once, but it um, that also doesn't look into offensive. Um, it's it's all about goal differential and not necessarily how many points you score. He was top five. He was a top five defensive player by defensive point shares uh, nine times, which is the second most ever behind Bork. And, uh, he was also a top 10, 12 times, which is he's one of only eight players to ever do that. Um, and, you know, it's the usual suspects uh, who are on there. I think uh, um, it would be Bork. It would be him. It might be Pontfan. It would be uh, Brad Park, um, probably Doug Harvey. Um, I don't know if Ray Kelly played defense long enough to be that. And I don't know if Eddie Shore played long enough to do that, but probably those those types of people. Yeah. It would not include Paul Coffey, that list. Um, sorry, Paul Coffey. Uh, <laughs> he also, uh, he's one of only nine defensemen to ever have 60 assists three times, um, one of 16 defensemen ever to have 50 assists four times, and one of only 15 defensemen ever to have 40 assists eight times. So, you know, he was a he was an important um, part of his team's offense. And the same thing is sort of true with points. He, you know, he's one of only 11 defensemen ever to have 80 points twice. And it goes the other way. He's one of only 10 defensemen ever to have 50 points 10 times. So you get the idea. Yeah. Um, he is only the second player in history to be plus 120 in a single season. Uh, and he did that in one fewer games than Bobby Orr achieved 124. So obviously uh, he, pro he wouldn't, if he had played that, that extra game, uh, if he played three more games, he might have beat it, but he, he missed three games that season. But Bobby Orr did it, uh, did 124 in 78 games. So who knows? Um, if if Bobby Orr had been healthy, of course, <laughs> he would have been plus, you know, a thousand, as we said, or whatever. Yeah. Um, Larry Robinson led the league in plus minus uh, once. He was top 10 six times, which is the fifth most ever. I actually was surprised it was only fifth most. Um, but he, you know, the, the sort of like that 
all most of his best seasons in terms of plus minus are sort of concentrated around the, the those Habs teams where he, they were ridiculous. Uh, he was a first team All Star, which means one of the two best defensemen in the league, three times, and second team another three times. So that's a lot. Um, and basically, uh, and there was like a five year stretch where he was on the first or second All Star team uh, from from 77 through 81 every season. And it was mostly the first team. And then he was also on a second team back in 86 when the Habs were resurgent. Um, you'll be shocked to learn that he doesn't qualify for the versus X peak adjustment for goals or points, but assist wise for his best seven seasons, he's 126 all time. And for his best 10 of the seasons, he's slightly better. 122nd. We are talking about a defenseman who didn't score a whole lot. So it doesn't really matter. He won a con Smythe. Um, in 78 and uh he led the playoffs in assists and plus minus and he tied for the lead in points with lafleur so that seems pretty legit unless dryden I, was I playing would, uh, i would i would say so like that that's the thing as he as he sort of grew into being the sort of that third great defenseman that they had he started to sort of become the best one or at least the more the most dominant one uh, physically um, yeah yeah because he was a crazy hitter which we haven't talked about yeah, we're going to get to that. <laughs> um, he was also the best defenseman by points on three champions. So despite having uh, LaPointe and Sorry there, who were, of course, older at this point, he was he led all defensemen on the Habs in those years. In 77 and 79, he led them in points. And then in 86 as well, when he was older and Chelios was the up-and-coming star. Um, he was a top two defenseman by points on... Uh, the 84 Canadians who went to the conference finals, which I was not a team I was aware of because I was three or two, actually two and a half. Um, he was a top four defenseman by points. You can tell uh, he had a less of a role, or at least assume he had a lesser role on two other champions. That would be the 73 and 76 Canadians. Um, so like 73, he was, you know, that was his uh, second year in the league, I think, or was it the first year of the league? His first year in the league. Sorry. Um, and in 76, he was still, we don't know what, we don't know his time, but he was still maybe not quite as, like Bill said, he hadn't quite become as dominant. He was also a top four uh, D by points. Again, we don't have ice time on, on the 89 Canadians who went to the finals <laughs> and another conference final in 75. So a lot of playoff success. And then there's also um, some Canada Cup success um, in 84. Uh, he, he, we, he didn't score much, so we really don't know uh, what role he played. But he was he was older in '84. You know, he was uh, 32, um, but he was on that championship team. He was also uh, on the '81 team, but again, he he didn't have a huge role by points. At least we don't have ice time. Of course, he would have been called upon to uh, sh- play a shutdown role because rather than uh, you know because you had other players to play that offensive role. Um, and then he also uh, he won the 76 Canada Cup as well, and we have no idea what role he added because he didn't score. But he has three, or so he has two Canada Cups and six Stanley Cups. Um, and of course, on some of those Stanley Cups, he was one of the best players on the team, if not the best player in that one year. So seems pretty open and shut. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, if you know, uh, unless we're only looking. At defensemen as purely offensive players, and I think even then he's still he's got a pretty open shut case. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's it. It's like the the numbers. I think other 
I think that, you know, plus minus a lot of people will just point to as being like one of the, you know, stupidest sort of stats because it can, it can just swing wildly one way or the other with yeah. luck, right? Like mm-hmm. if you happen to be on a good team and, oh, you just stepped on the ice and banged like some guys on a breakaway and you scored, you had nothing to do with it. You get a plus one to your, yeah. you're on the ice. So it's like yeah. people can point to it, but I mean, when it's, when it's that, when it's the dominance that Warren and Robinson displayed where you're like, you're, you're more than plus one for every game you play. <laughs> like that's yeah. it's just basically the, every time you're on the ice, the other team's, you know, minus a goal or two for however many minutes you were on the ice during that game. And that's, that's a crazy, that's a crazy sort of stat where you're, you're swinging the game that much just by your, uh, your presence on the ice. Right. So, uh, I believe it was down goes Brown who once said plus minus is a garbage stat in like small samples, but over the course of a career, it tends to tell some kind of fundamental truth, you know? Yeah. Like you you would have to, right? Yeah. You can, you can say, you can look at someone season over season and see the inconsistencies and the luck. And that's absolutely true. But like guys who are like minus a hundred and they played 1300 games, you know? Yeah. Like at some point you got to think it's not just bad luck, you know, unless of course they played every one of those uh, games for a terrible team and they were traded among terrible teams. And in that case, sure. But like if you didn't and you're minus a hundred at the end of a like 13, 14, 1500 game career, that is telling us something, something where, and I think the same thing is true of Larry Robinson and other, and other guys who are like plus three or plus 400 or more, in the case of Larry Robinson, plus 722 is like, I and I understand the Habs were, uh, you know, um, were amazing for part of that run, but they weren't amazing for the entirety of the run. And it's worth noting also that um, the Kings weren't great. You know, he, he got to the Kings uh, just in the like early years of, of Gretzky being there when they were like, yeah. you know, not, um, you know, they were a playoff team, but like, um, they were not a, a great team by any means. And he was no, still, they, they I mean, not. he was plus 22 in his uh, second last season in the league. And I don't know much about those Kings, but like they were, um, you know, they were, uh, oh, actually they were pretty good. I'm surprised how, how good they were. Um, yeah. Well, like the, anyway. the, the Habs only won two cups in the eighties. Uh, sorry. Only one cup in the eighties in 86. Yeah. And then he was gone by the time they won again in 93. But um, his, like, in the early 80s, the Habs were, the Habs were never bad, right? Like, they were never yeah. terrible, but they, you know, they were always like a rock solid team. So he's going to have good numbers, but they, I think it's that stretch of dominance where, like, they were all sort of at their peak there, where they won those four straight cups and, like, yeah. wasn't even, wasn't even, I, I would say, with the exception of the, uh, the, um, too many men on the ice call with the Bruins. Other than that one, I don't think they were ever particularly close. Like that was yeah. sort of the one time they almost lost. Um, yeah, and that was <laughs> so uh... he played for an extremely dominant team. So the, you might argue, well, that pumps his numbers up a bit. So like, okay, so then I don't know, take two hundred away from you, still, you still plus five hundred. Like, yeah, yeah, on. exactly. Like, yeah. You know, it's it's a it's yeah. like you said, it's a video game number, right? He was that good. He was plus. Uh, it was plus 40 for like a third of his career every season, at least. And he was like plus 30 for over a ha- uh, per season for over half his career. 
um, plus yeah. 20 for all but four seasons of his career. Which is just like... Played. Yeah, and he ridiculous. played a long time, too. So. <laughs> he played a long time, you know? And like, yeah, you like you said, Bill, you can say, oh, he was on these stacked teams, but he was on those stacked teams for a while, and then he wasn't anymore. Yes, the Habs were never bad, but they were, you know, they definitely, yeah. like, once LaFleur fell off his cliff, um, mm-hmm. they really, uh, and, and, you know, a bunch of guys retired, like Lemaire retired, and, like, Lemaire couldn't play anymore, and, and Cornier, yeah. and, and Savard, and Lapointe, you know, yeah, those guys were all gone, and he was still, I mean, he was no longer plus 70 in a season, but he was still, um, there's, oh my god, I'm sorry, that was hilarious, um, <laughs> This is what happens when you drink beer when you're we're doing this, apparently. Uh, he was plus three. He was plus three in 84. That's the worst he got since his rookie season um, for his entire Habs career. He's plus three in his rookie season. He was plus three in 84. And the rest of the time, he was plus 20-something minimum for the Habs every single season, regardless of uh, who was on the team. And uh, that even if we looked at anybody else and they were plus that, Every se- every season of their career for the main team they played for, it would just be like, we'd be like, how, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so, and, yeah. You, of course. You know what? Just gonna say because we, we we talked about it before that he was you know a, a very ferocious hitter too. So like, you know, think about the impact he had on games in terms of people really not wanting to skate down his side of the ice mm-hmm. and turning that around for the Habs, right? And if he's playing with, um, I I don't know if. Uh, um, Savard and Lapointe played together and Robinson had another partner or if they all just sort of interchanged between the three of them because they were all so good and they just wanted them on the ice all the time. But you have to imagine that having him there help, makes their lives a lot easier too as they as they start to get older. It's like, although Serge Savard was a pretty uh, a pretty big guy. So Savard and, and Robinson league, played together mostly, apparently. Okay, so and yeah, it was like that pairing would have been not only extremely talented, but pretty intimidating too. Like they wouldn't back down from anybody. But and uh, then, yeah, and then like later he played. And... So I was going to say also he played a point later. Yeah, yeah. It was like there's a that, that famous case of like you know he like people used to say he was really tough and he could really you know really hit people. And there's one time where he hit he hit a guy into the boards and it moved the boards, not like broke the glass like we've seen. You know, like my beloved Trevor Linden did, or uh, it's happened a couple of times since then where you basically put a guy through the glass, uh, you know, or pop the paint out or whatever. But this is like they moved the bottom of the boards, which are like braced, like they're basically never supposed to move. And he hit a guy so hard that the boards like moved about a, I don't know, about a foot inwards. And they like they had to actually move the boards back to keep the game going. It was like absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, to generate that amount of force. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's pretty, sort of a testament to uh, how hard he could hit people and the the uh, the sort of uh, intimidation he would he would put on opponents coming down his wing. You know, not the, like and he's not not like a Scott Stevens sort of knocking people out. Just he would hit you hard into the boards all the time and yeah. was just extremely difficult to play against. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's. Um... I mean, I never saw him play, of course, but like he, everything I've said, like uh, everything I've heard, I mean, um, like I, I read the game a few years ago, finally, and uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, stuff about Larry Rob, 
the defense in general, but Larry Robinson in there as well, and just really made me like, I I, I should have read it more recently <laughs> again to to remember what Dryden had to say about him because it's about of course it's about like later when they're like trying to win more cups, but the whole team is sort of getting older and creakier and and not as motivated, right? Like one of the reasons the game is compelling is because it's about them sort of like struggling with their own, like fighting themselves much yeah. like, uh, much like the last dance last year. It's sort of a similar theme of like a team that's been really, really good or amazing. And then they're just like, they don't know they're having trouble motivating themselves and stuff. But there was a lot of stuff in there about Larry Robinson that I had never heard before. And, and just, he just seems like he was, you know, it's, it's, it's maybe that he's appreciated a little bit less than he should be by some people in part because he was on such a great team and there were other great defensemen on it. He wasn't like, he may have been the star some years, like when he won the con Smythe, but like he also like in, he came up through an organization that already had these star defensemen who would go on to the hall of fame, which is not the case for everybody in his position. Right. Yeah. Anything else to say about him before we move on to Bungkook? No, I, I I think we've sort of uh, we've talked about him, uh, you know, his his sort of completeness as a player. I think uh, pretty pretty accurately. Okay. So up next we have Frederick Cook, aka Bun, who was uh, named Bun because he was apparently quick as a bunny. Um, he is the <laughs> brother uh, of Bill Cook. Bill Cook being, um, according to some people, one of the uh, greatest players in hockey history. Uh, Bun is the younger brother by like eight years, I think. And we will eventually get to Bill Cook um, and explain why some people consider that about him. Uh, Bun is is uh, has had a, didn't have quite as definitive his career, but he he was in the uh, NHL uh, for eleven years from twenty six to thirty seven. And that is uh, in part because he was in the WCHL before that. And like many players of his era, played senior um, a little longer than you would, you know, like now you just don't go to senior, right? Um, and yeah. uh, and actually, I, mean, I guess it was, I don't know what they were. They're, uh, they're uh, yeah, they were a senior team. Um, even though they're now a junior team. So anyway, but like he was, I don't know exactly what year he was when he, um, he moved into the WCHL, but it was, it was later than you would expect uh, somebody nowadays. I'm just going to try and look that up. Talking about. Um, oh, actually, no, it was, he was, he was younger uh, than I realized. Um, anyway, uh, so he had, uh, 158 goals, which put him 13th all-time in his retirement in 37, and he was uh, 10th all-time in assists, 144 assists, and he was 10th all-time in points. Of course, this was fairly early in the history of the league, so doing that was not as impressive as it would be now. Um, He was also uh, 21st in games played and 14th all-time in point shares. He was also 12th all-time in offensive point shares when he retired. Um... Hockey references per game requirements are way too high for a player like this, but if you make it uh, a games played requirement instead, he was 16th all time in goals per game, 13th all time assists per game, and 17th all time in points per game when he retired. So one of the best 20 or so players in the history, uh, offensive players in the history of the league. 
Whatever that means in 1937, I don't really know. Um, Era-wise, of the 35 players who played at least 400 games between 26 and 37, he was 6th in goals and assists per game, 7th in, in goals per game assists and points, and 8th in points per game and offensive point shares, and 11th point shares. So one of the top 5 to 10 forwards in the league at a time when there was like 8 teams. So yeah. I don't know how big a deal we should make of that. His 82 game average is 52 points, which might sound awful, but you got to remember he was playing in the twenties and thirties. Scoring was not what it was later. Uh, his three year peak, uh, was a 44 game average between 29 and 32 of 37 points. So almost a point per game. But one thing to keep in mind with that is that scoring went way up right around 1930 and then kind of plateaued again after that. Um, cause scoring was quite low in the late twenties. And then there was like, they, they introduced the uh, second assist at some point, I feel like in 29 or 30 and then scoring went up and then it, you know, it was again, not very high, uh, for the thirties and, uh, forties. Yeah. Um, playoff number wise, he is not on any, uh, all time leaderboards when he retired, uh, partly because he played a lot of playoff games and didn't really score a lot. 46 playoff game, eight, uh, games, 18 points. That sounds really bad. Not really bad, but does not sound good. Keep in mind, it was not a high-scoring era, but he wasn't even in the top 25 for any of those stats. Of the 13 players to play in at least 41 playoff games between 26 and 37, though, he is third in goals, third in goals per game, fourth in assists. Um, so that just goes to show you, uh, and, and third in points. So that goes to show you that like the scoring had actually dropped a little bit. Um, because he he does, he isn't on any um, you know all time leaderboards for the playoffs at his retirement, but he at least looks like one of the best playoff performers of his era, despite 18 points in 46 games. Like that's how low scoring it was. Man, <laughs> um, the adjustment for era. Uh, this is he's he played in that time when the adjustment for era for um for both hockey reference and. Uh, versus X is just hilariously off. Uh, so right, let's hear it, it. <laughs> his, his adjusted 82 game average is 149 points, which is 97 points better per 82 games. <laughs> so it says he was, you know, this preposterous, like almost two point per game player, which is just really uh, silly um, versus X. So, so hockey reference bumps him up to 288 goals and 789 points and versus X bumps him up to 316 goals and 707 points. Um, he is not on the per game boards for, uh, adjusted, uh, numbers for hockey reference, but versus X, he's 23rd all time in, in versus X adjusted goals per game. And he's 16th all time in versus X adjusted points per game. It is worth noting that hockey reference their adjustment, as I've said many times, tends to favor the 20s and into the 30s, and hockey references, or sorry, versus X tends to favor the 30s and the 40s, late 30s into the 40s. Um, he was traded twice, and those trades uh, were both for cash. One of them, he was traded into uh, the NHL from the WHL, that happened, and the other time he was traded uh, from... Um, uh, the Rangers to Boston because he was on the Rangers for a while. His uh, WCHL numbers, uh, he, had, he only had two seasons, and because the WCHL was a brief league, he uh, he was still somehow 
basically. He's 23rd all-time in goals, 24th all-time in assists, and 23rd all-time in points. Of course, uh, he had two good seasons, and that was enough to get you on those leaderboards. Um, his 30-game uh, average for the WCHL is 18 points, which gives you, again, an idea of how little scoring there was. So, uh, accomplishments. Um, he was a top offensive player by point shares once, and that was in 33. And in 33, how many points did he have in 33 to give you some idea of how low the scoring was? Uh, he had 37 points in 48 games because it was not a high-scoring era. He was um, top five in goals once, top five in goals per game once. Scored 20 goals twice because, again, really low scoring error. He was top 10 assists per game once. He was top 10 points three times. So, you know, he was like, he was a good player. He was not a dominant player like his brother. Um, he did play with his brother for a long time, which is something to think about. Um, they were the known as the bread line for some reason, I guess because Bun was called Bun and they were both <laughs> called Cook. I don't know. Um, That's good. <laughs> Uh, but like he was, you know, he he had some good seasons, but he never had a year like he never led, uh, he never led the league in in goals or assists and points. And I don't know that he ever led his team because he was playing with both um, Bill Cook and Frank Boucher, two of the best players of the era. Um, the versus X peak uh, really isn't kind to him, despite the versus X adjustment being really good. So his best seven seasons, he's 158th all time in goals, 184th in assists and 127th in all in points. And that, uh, doesn't get better when you move it to the best 10 seasons because he didn't play that long. Right? Like, what did I say? He played um, 11 seasons. So, um, he was a, uh, top three forward on a Rangers team that went to the, uh, the Stanley Cup in 32 and lost, he led the playoffs in goals. But that is the only time that he led the playoffs in a category. It's actually the only time he led anything um, in all these years. Um, and when they won in, in 28, 20, earlier than that, he was not, like he was a top three four, but again, he was playing with his brother. And then they won in 33 as well, and he was a top six forward by points. Um, at this point, he was 29. Um, I believe his brother was still very good. He also uh, won an Allen Cup in 24, his last season when he was senior before he moved, uh, started getting paid in the WCHL. There are two important things to know about Bung Cook that were not mentioned in that long list of uh, achievements, and that is um, that he was apparently involved in the invention of the slap shot. Um, he's one of the very one of multiple players to be considered as the inventor of the slap shot, but there's a lot of debate about it, and I, I honestly don't know um, his role. However, he seems to be credited as the inventor of the drop pass. Ooh, yeah. Um, in that, like, and this is this is hard to know because, of course, at one point you couldn't pass forward, so I got to assume that drop passes would have happened a lot more frequently, but I guess not. Yeah. Um, because the pass forward pass, I can't remember what year the forward pass was brought in. Um, but like, I don't know how you don't have a drop pass in a non-forward passing league. But according well, to, I, I I think guys probably like passed it back, but it was probably more like you're getting organized. Um, yeah, you know, and you're looking behind you, and 
Yeah, to a degree like soccer. Let's pass it back to our rover who's going to skate through the whole team and we're going to sort of get in everybody's way for him. Like, it wouldn't, wouldn't shock me to learn that things like the flying V actually used to happen in old-timey hockey. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, so here, I, so I here's Cook himself. So he said, I had a dream about the drop pass one night, and in our next, pra- next practice, I told Frank Boucher and Bill, his brother, they thought I was crazy. But they decided to humor me. By gosh, it worked. I'd cross over from left wing to center, and as I moved in on defense, I'd fake a shot and leave the puck behind and skate away from it with Frank or Bill picking it up. We got a lot of goals off the crisscross and drop pass. Who knows? He thinks he invented it. It's used like crazy nowadays. So uh, yeah, yeah. It, oh, is it ever? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, there are people who who believe. First of all, some people believe he was overshadowed by Bill and Frank. Of course, Bill being one of the best players of the era, possibly the second best or even the best, according to some people. That's easy to understand. Also, there's some comments that maybe he wasn't that consistent. Bun specifically. Yeah. And that certainly bears out with the fact that he never led um he never led uh the league in, in scoring and like I said, only led one playoff in goal scoring. I'm gonna look at his his so his best year he had forty two points in forty three games in, in thirty. And um uh he was outscored by both his brother and Frank Boucher, his line mates. So much like Bobby Bauer. He doesn't appear to have ever been the best player on his line. On the other hand, he does have a, some clearly some more offensive achievements than Bauer did, and um, at least in the NHL. And the other thing is he has this possible invention of the drop pass, which would be a very big deal if it's true. Yeah. How, how do you feel? I don't know. Um, I Like, at the beginning, you were saying, you know, like he's – one of the five to 10 best players of his era. And then I'm just like, okay, well that's, you know, pretty much I'm okay with guys like that going into the hall. If you're, you're a top 10 player for however long you played, like you probably, you know, I think we can put the top 10 players in the league into the, but like you said, it's only an 18 league back then. So not that many players. And you know, he's, he's not the star of the line, right? It's, it's his brother and it's uh, Frank Boucher. So it's like, you know, is, is he just, another member of, of a great line um you know uh yeah. it's it, like maybe his numbers don't bear it out but it's like you know like he's having dreams about drop passes and they scored all these goals off the crisscross it's like i don't know i feel like he's important enough to get in uh he played you know like we said before in a couple of other uh podcasts you know if you play for a famous line that has a great nickname you're like almost guaranteed to get in as an old timer yeah um so yeah part of the bread line it's uh you know, that's another check for him. Also, his name is Bun Cook. That's a great hockey name. So I, I, that's another point for him to be in. Um, I think statistically, I'm like, eh, you could remove him and I wouldn't be upset. But then if you think about how, like, sort of, you know, he has all these, like, important sort of things that old-timey players seem to need to get in, yeah. I, I don't have an issue with him getting in. Yeah, and the other thing, the one thing to say, too, is that he did lead the playoffs in goals once, which is, like, something that some of these other old-timers we talk about have not done, you know? Yeah. Um, certainly Bauer um, didn't. And uh, Bauer is the last guy we talked about. That's why he's constantly on my brain. Um, I also think that, you know, it is important. If he did 
if he did have a role in innovating both the slap shot and the drop pass, that is that's pretty damn important regardless of stats. And like the fact that like yeah, he didn't score a lot, but the fact that he was a top ten top five to top ten depending on the stat regular season player and then he was a top three playoff player offensively for his era, that that feels like the fact that he was better in the playoffs, it seems. Um yeah. Which is a really, really different than the the guy they inducted the next year, who was worse in the playoffs. Um, yeah. That does feel significant to me. Um, on the other hand, we're talking about so little scoring that I guess it was far, probably fairly easy to become the third best offensive player of that era, scoring wise, because this is a guy who has 15 goals, you know, <laughs> like playoff goals. Um, it's not a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm. I think I'm probably fine with him being in for like innovation reasons. And also, you know, it's like they had team success. Um, I don't know. It's, he's certainly, it's not as weird to me as Bobby Bauer. It is weird that it took so long um, mm-hmm. because he, he, he died much more recently than Bauer did, he, but he died in 88. So it's still been seven years. Yeah, um, I don't know if there was like a, a a groundswell of like interest in inducting him after his death or something. Maybe, but it it could also just be that, um, you know, like we we've talked about this before, where it's not really like the Hall of Fame of greatness; it's sort of the Hall of Fame of very goodness, especially mm-hmm. if you played uh, significant during a significant period on a significant line yeah. uh, for a, you know a significant amount of time, and you're pretty consistent. Um, you know, so I think maybe maybe that's how he gets in, like. Like, let's just say we're, you know, our hypothetical hall where it's like, you know, only elite players get in. Then I'd probably be like, no, he doesn't belong. But it's like with the hall in its current construction. Yeah, he absolutely belongs. Yeah. And I I like the versus X peak adjustment for that very reason, because it really does put things in relief. Right. Like, as you look and you see, here's a guy who it by their attempt to adjust for era, his best seven seasons, he is at best one of the top 130 offensive players ever yeah and it's like okay i'm not sure (laughs) i'm not sure and that's at best that's that's points if you look at just goals or assists he's much worse and and that like i look at that and i go oh yeah no way but i agree i think that in the hall as currently constructed he's certainly not he's not offensive by any means there are players who had way worse careers and also who didn't in Again, who knows if he actually invented these things, but who didn't claim to invent these things and don't have other people saying, yeah, probably did. Um, yeah. I mean, well, it seems it, reasonable. It, yeah, it, it does. It's, it's interesting, too, that um, I think both of us have sort of um, sort of complained about, uh, you know, the, the hall not being selective enough. Um, yeah. And I I'm, I'm don't quote me on this number, but I'm pretty sure for Major League Baseball, there's still less than 200 all-time Hall of Famers okay. um, who've like ever been inducted. Um, so like, and I, I feel like hockey's maybe because they started, um, started up the Hall of Fame, uh, I, I guess later than they, they did start later than baseballs, right? Baseballs was right around the time. Uh, they like started in 45 is when hockey started. Okay. I feel like baseball was a little bit before that. Cause I feel like Babe Ruth was still alive, but don't quote me. Yeah. Um, might have been the late 30s. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Oh, man, I have no idea. Um, I don't, I'm, 
so I'm trying to figure out how many number how many people are, there's 289 uh, Hall of Famers in hockey. So yeah, it's getting it's a it's a fair number. Yeah. Okay. I'm, yeah. So baseball opened in 1939. So okay. Um, but you know it's uh, so now it's uh, and there's been more there's been more baseball players, right? Uh, well, sorry, yeah, that's right not now we're, that's not true. Yeah, it was uh, so we're at uh, 333 people, 235 players, but that's okay. actually 270 because they've inducted Negro Leagues players now. So yep. um, okay, so they're actually very so similar. You're now. Looking about 270 players, I don't know how many are in the hockey. Hall of Fame, so uh, 289 in the hockey. Um, okay, so but here, slight, here, slightly more hockey. Here's the difference, though, is that even though the rosters for baseball are smaller, baseball had more teams for a much longer period of time, right? Yeah. So they yeah, do and, probably and, have a bigger uh, pool. Then, yeah, and the, the rosters, if you look at the actual full roster size, not not that different, yeah. right? Yeah. Like if you look at if you look at I met people who like play regularly. No, no, no. That's but if you look at like guys who are going to get into the Hall of Fame, they're basically all top six players, right? So if you're not one of the ten best, you know, the nine or ten best players on your team, you're not getting the playing time. Yeah. Sort of like you know, you would need to be an everyday ball player. So I guess it's kind of kind of comparable. But like you said, so many more teams in baseball. Um, yeah. uh, so it's yeah. The, the, I, I think I think for a little while there. Um, the NHL probably realized they hadn't done a great job of um, compiling and honoring their history and that it was sort of slipping through their fingertips to sort of, um, you know, the way maybe it was the Ken Burns documentary for baseball and that nostalgia and hockey's like, we have great mm-hmm. stuff like that too. We should start putting in more old timers. Like this, this needs to happen. You know, we, we, we did it once a long time ago because all those guys were, you know, either had passed or were about to, and they're like, "Oh, remember how great that guy was? We got to put him in." And then, and then for a while, I think it kind of dried up. So, um, you're absolutely you no, know, you're 100 percent onto something because, like, so we've been like Bill and I have been talking about this a little bit because it's this weird thing. So, like, you know, in in in, in since 2000, there's been very few. Like Dick Duff is the only one who strikes me as an old timer and semi-old timer who was inducted since 2000. But in the, in the nineties, it's every year, except for uh, Gretzky's year, you have Roy Conacher in 98. Um, okay. You don't have anyone in 97, but you have uh Bobby Bauer in 96. You have Bung Cook this year in 95, 94, as you will see next episode is just old timers. There's no new players. <laughs> 93, you have uh, Edgar Leprad. Um, 92, you got Woody Dumart. Um, 91, you have uh, Clint Smith. Um, there, there. 90, you have Fern Flamen or Flamen. I'm not sure which it is. Um, and at 89, you have uh, oh no, no, no. Herbie Lewis is older-ish. Um, and then in the 80s, before that, it's all or mostly uh, guys who are people would have remembered. So it does feel like something cause this you know whether it's like you said the ken burns documentary which i don't remember what year that came out early 90s I feel like it I was think. like 91 or 92 yeah but, uh, um I'm... but they were already inducting the odd old timer before that uh, old buddy o'connor too in the late 80s but still like something seems to have like been triggered and they were like oh we we're not doing enough of our old guys and i don't know if that's because they didn't think there were enough contemporary players because certainly the fact that they were inducting one 
one recent retiree a year in the, in the 90s for a while, or none, as in the case of the next episode. Um, like, that's fascinating <laughs> to me uh, that that was happening. Um, anyway, the, uh, it, yeah, the, the Ken Burns baseball came out in uh, September of 94. Okay. Wild baseball was on strike, by the way. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> um, if, you, if, if anybody's never seen it, uh, it is maybe the best documentary ever made. Although a Civil War one is also absolutely breathtaking. Yeah. But uh, the also uh, the 10th inning. I am a very big fan of the 10th inning. The the sequ- the like sort of sequel they made and added I, on. I, I haven't seen it because because uh, Jen and I were going to watch it, and uh, yeah. so I wanted to go back through all the first nine and then watch yeah. the 10th one. But, uh, I'm not sure yeah, you're gonna so like I, that one though. But. Well, I'm sure I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> sure <it's laughs> we have about steroids. And yeah, we have and the Expos getting robbed. Yeah, and I'm not yeah, we have opposing to views on the topic too. I think. So. Yes. Well, it's uh, it's it's gonna be. I'm I'm always willing to watch it. That's that's the thing. Even though I don't watch baseball anymore because uh, my Expos got taken away, I I still do really love the history of baseball and the nostalgia of it. And it's uh, it's. And it's, uh, you know, for, for, I think I've mentioned it several times on the podcast, but they did a very similar sort of thing uh, called uh, Hockey, a People's Game uh, that uh, the CBC did. Uh, and they interviewed Ken Dryden quite a bit. And it's very, very good. It's really well done. I've actually never seen it, which is crazy. Yeah, it's quite good. I was, I, I might not have it lying around anymore. I think I loaned it to a student. No, that student gave it back, but I might have loaned it out to somebody else too. Because I was like, I've already seen that. It. <laughs> so, um yeah, but I I do think you're right that there there clearly was some kind of intent to like try to remember the past more by the Hall of Fame for a stretch well, here. Because... Well, um, uh, the 75th anniversary was um, that, uh, was that 93 when the Habs won? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. 93 or yeah, something so, closer. Yeah, maybe yeah. some. So it's yeah. like, I think you know coming up on some big you know milestones and um, you know they were. Uh, you know, sort of in the process of becoming uh, a league that takes itself a little more seriously. You know, they'd gotten over the, you know, random brawls and people getting knocked unconscious of the 80s, referees in yellow shirts because uh, <laughs> a judge ruled against, <laughs> against the NHL in New Jersey, like <laughs> all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, once they, uh, once they sort of realized they should, you know, sort of try to be a pro league and i you know i i think who, who knows right like we're, we're we're too young to sort of know maybe that maybe they'd refurbish the hockey hall of fame or something and they wanted to make a big splat i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know i don't know either it's it's interesting and it'll be it'll be extra interesting next episode when we don't have any <laughs> recent players to talk about and it's just old guys it's just like one one of whom um, I'm very excited to talk about it. And the other whom you're just kind of like shoulder shrug, like this guy. Okay. Anyway, uh, I won't well, say any I'm more done. about that. Wh- which Spoiler which one is the one where it's like four, four old timers? Ninety four, right? No, no, it's only, it's only, uh, two old timers. 94. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it's still two, only old timers. So I, maybe, only maybe I'll smoke my pipe for that episode. <laughs> just feel extra old timey. That sounds like a good idea. All right. Yeah. Uh, thanks everyone for listening and we will see you next episode with our only old timers getting inducted in 1994 for reasons that nobody seems to know. Um, and hopefully you will tune in for that. Thanks for listening. Take care.